indeed. It's good to hear your worship, you guys. Look, Jason Bishop is here. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's good to be with you. Uh, this is one of those Sundays, everything's gone wrong. Like, Roland didn't know he was leading worship till last night. Cindy's back there on the soundboard, which she doesn't normally do. But, hey, Jesus is still Jesus, so there's a reason to worship, and it's good to hear you worship in him. Um, Find your way to Micah chapter 6 today. We have been in three, for three weeks in the book of Micah. We're going to end Micah today. We're also going to press pause on our series in the Minor Prophets because Advent is coming next week. So we're going to shift gears to talk about Christmas for the next few weeks. Uh, but if you remember the Minor Prophets, we've been studying all fall. There are 12 of them, and you can kind of group them into three basic periods. We've just ended the first. That's the Assyrian period. We looked at Jonah, Amos, Hosea, and now Micah. And we're going to press pause there. We'll come back in the new year and look at those next two periods of time. Um, but today, I want to I wrap up with... Uh, kind of give you the conclusion of the sermon at the beginning. Now, please don't leave after I say this, but uh, we're going to explain it. We're going to talk about it, illustrate it, all that sort of stuff. But I wanted you to know where I'm going because what Micah basically says to us today is a great summation of everything that we've looked at this fall. And it certainly is a great summary of what Micah is saying to God's people. Here's what it is. It is two truths. For 250 years, God's prophets have been saying this to the people of God. First, grace, mercy, and love from God are a free gift. They've said that. Now, we don't think about this in the Old Testament. We think about that in the New Testament, like Jesus teaches us that. But it is here in the prophets. Long before Jesus showed up, the prophets were saying to people things about God, like he is rich in mercy. He's slow to anger. That is his nature. That's who he is. He doesn't love us as his people because we're just so awesome and we've done so many good things. He loves us because he is so loving. His love is a free gift. The prophets have said that. But, and here's the important part, when it comes to the prophets at least, they have also said this, purpose and the kingdom of God are not a gift. They are in fact a project, is the word I'm going to use. The kingdom of God is a project, meaning like this dream that God has for us that really was started in the Garden of Eden, this dream about what it would look like on earth, and it was renewed in Mount Sinai when God said, the whole earth is mine, but out of the whole earth I choose you people, and I want to establish this community in this country where uh, everyone's uh, freedom is valued, everyone's dignity is upheld, the flourishing of everyone matters to everyone else. That's what I want my kingdom to look like here on earth as it is in heaven. That thing Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God, that thing is not a free gift. It is a project for God's people that he invites us into. And the kingdom of God is something that he wants us to create with him, not as equal partners, but certainly as partners with him. So this is the summary of all of the prophets thus far. What they've been saying to God's people is, listen, God's grace, mercy, and love for you is a free gift, but this purpose that you've been called to, this kingdom that you've been invited into, that's actually a project that requires your participation as God's people. Casual observation about this. I've seen uh, a lot of believers, myself included, uh, who have struggled with flipping these two, right? So we start to think of God's love as a project. 
meaning we need to kind of work to earn it. We got to get in his good graces. And inevitably what happens if we're doing that is we will fail and then we'll start to, shame will start to creep into our hearts. Of, he must not love me. Gosh, I gotta, I'm not doing very well. He must be frustrated with me and all that sort of stuff because we haven't done the work. We're treating his love like a project. But the reverse also happens. We relate to the kingdom of God as if it should be a free gift. Like all of us, because we have Jesus in our life, should just spring out of bed, like just full of purpose and totally fulfilled and fully experiencing the glorious kingdom of God. Like that should just happen to us. And if we stick our necks out there, we try to do something good for the kingdom and it doesn't work out, or maybe we suffer a little bit, we get all chesty with God. Like, don't you see how hard I'm working here? These people don't even appreciate it. We all feel that way with God sometimes, right? And I think what that reveals is in our heart of hearts, we would love it if his kingdom would be something he would just drop in our laps and it, laps and it would happen. He would just give us success. The prophets flip that for God's people, right? They say, hey, you're secure in his love, but he has this thing that he wants you to create with him. God's grace is easy, it is accessible, but seeing his kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven requires some work, it is a project. Now Micah writes, after some really bad stuff has happened, the northern kingdom has been destroyed, the southern kingdom gets overrun by the Assyrians, but they survive, uh, and it's this moment where people have neglected the work of the kingdom of God for a few hundred years, and they're starting to act like I was just describing, kind of a little chesty with God, like, God, we're your chosen people. How could you have let this happen? How could you have let our nation be threatened? How could you have let this nation fail? And Micah shows up as God's prophet, and I think he kind of says to the people of God, hey, God has the same question for you. How could you have let this happen? How could you have neglected this kingdom of love and mercy that God so desperately wants you to build with him? How did you let it happen? Now, the good news of Micah is he starts to get through to these people. He says, listen, you had a part to play in this. God wasn't going to wave a magic wand and just instantly make you loving and just and merciful as a people group. Uh, he wanted you to step into the work with him. And they say, oh, gosh, we realize we may have neglected this. And the people start to listen to Micah. And so they start to wonder, well, what do we do now? How do we make this right with God? That's where we're going to pick up Micah chapter 6, verse 6. The people have this response to Micah's message. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So they're asking, how do we make this right with God? But they're asking in a way that reveals just how little they know about this God, right? Like they're literally asking, should I sacrifice my child 
so you'll be happy. Like, God, would that make you happy? Would you forgive us if I sacrificed my children? And of course not, right? Like, they, they, it highlights just how little they understand this God that they follow. What I want you to never forget is that preface, those sorts of, like, unhinged offers of devotion that lead to this verse. This is a verse that you've probably heard. It's a pretty famous verse. But it is a response to some outlandish promises towards God. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what's good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this verse, famous verse, it is a response to this unhinged offer of devotion. The people say, God, we'll do whatever you want. We'll even kill our children for you. Is that what you want? And God says, no, I have never wanted that. What would make you think I want that? Why would I ever want that? I've, what I want is what I've always told you. Justice, mercy, hum, humility. That's, that's what I've always wanted. Just do that stuff. It's never changed. Side note, one of the characteristics of spiritual immaturity is the belief that God's will is a mystery, right? Sometimes we come to God and we're like, God, what do you want for my life? Just show me what you want me to do. Give me a sign. I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Just give me a sign. Um, and I, in my mind, the Holy Spirit's voice is always sarcastic. Um, and so I think God often says what he says here. He's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe try that love your neighbors thing I mentioned a time or two? Could you just do that? You know, that's, that's basically what he's saying here. They're like, God, what do you want from us? And God is like, I, could you just do the stuff I've always talked about? Now, I'm not disputing that God sometimes has specific things that he wants for our life, but I think when we're wrestling sometimes with the specifics, what we tend to do is overlook the fact that the big things never change. And he gives us quite a bit of freedom on the specifics. What he says to these people is, please, please don't sacrifice your children. Why would you ever think I want that? Please don't do that. I, I've always told you the things that I want. There are three of them. He says, act justly. Justice is a cultural word, right? It's about creating a society where people are treated with dignity where freedom flourishing of every single person actually matters and it's valued, where uh, the, the, the justice of the nation is something that everyone is participating in. You can think of that on a big scale, like a national scale, but you can also think about justice in your home. You can think about it in your work or in our church. If there's ever an environment where someone created in the image of God is treated unfairly, God says, hey, I've always kind of wanted my people to act when that happens. Would you just act? Would you do something about it? That's my will for your life. Act justly. He also says, love mercy. Mercy, uh, it, it, it means people don't get what they deserve. We all want mercy for ourselves, but the concept of mercy is that people do not get what they deserve. Justice is a cultural word. Mercy is a relational word. Mercy takes into account our sin. Like in our sinfulness, we all deserve condemnation. But the definition of mercy is Christ's death on the cross, which declares there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is mercy. God says, I, what I'd really like is for my people to love it when somebody gets what they don't deserve. That's my will for your life. Lastly, he says, walk humbly with God. 
Now, the connotation here, it really is beautiful. This is an internal quality. It's about being reflective. It's about being circumspect in your relationship with God, learning from him. It's this sort of spirituality that says, hey, I'm never going to know it all, so I'm always going to have to maintain this internal posture of listening to what God is saying to me. He says, that's what I'm wanting for you. So it's spirituality that's willing to get under the surface of our soul, that's willing to humbly bring our brokenness to God and say, hey, what is that about? I don't totally understand it. Could you reveal it to me? Could you speak to that so that you can heal that in me? God says, I've always wanted that for you. That's my will for your life is to walk humbly with you. Now, here's what I want you to notice about these three. Do you notice how each of those is a project? Meaning, like, there's a couple parts. Surely God does a lot in all of those, but there's something for us to do in each of those. They are volitional, is the word. Meaning, it requires an act of our will for each one of those. They each require diligent effort over time. And so I would say that justice, mercy, and humility, they're not actually a gift to us, but they are a work that God wants us to do. Now, I know we're evangelicals, and so we all get really nervous if somebody says anything about works, right? Like, so these are a work God wants us to do. They are not a work that saves us. We're saved by his grace alone. But it's like after we are saved, after we experience his Holy Spirit coming into our life, God says, hey, now for the rest of your lives, I have this amazing project that we could do together, and it's centered around those three words. Can we do it? And it's a work that he invites us into every day. We get confused sometimes. I think, uh, you know, we know God loves us. We know he loves us completely unconditionally. He has like this furious love for his people. But sometimes we experience dissatisfaction in life, right? Or purposelessness. And, And I think what Micah is trying to help God's people see is the reason that they struggle. And so the truth is this, our purposelessness and our dissatisfaction in life, it's not related to a deficit of his love for us. It's more likely related to our lack of engagement in justice, mercy, and humility. And so God's people are like, what is happening in our nation? And God's like, well, it's this stuff that I've invited you into. And so when we're dissatisfied, sometimes in our frustration, uh, like we get frustrated, like, God, you don't love me enough. Why don't you love me? If you love me, this would be working out. Or we concoct these dramatic ways like they did where it's like, God, if I show you my devotion, will you give me all the stuff that I would like? And Micah says, instead, could you just ask yourself, are you already doing what he showed you to do? That's maybe a better question for God's people. When we have moments of dissatisfaction, we should start doing something to bring justice to the world. We should start doing something to offer mercy to someone else. We should start humbling ourselves and looking at the brokenness in our soul that's driving that dissatisfaction. God's saying to his people, I've told you this, it's never changed. It's been consistent from the beginning. My love is a gift to you, but this kingdom thing is a project. I like this. I like Micah. Like he's, like he's kind, Uh, But he's really blunt, and it's kind of beautiful. He's saying, like, you you just have to understand this. This is something you've been invited into. But what I love the most about Micah, I think, is the way he ends his book. Turn over to chapter 7. Look at verse 18. Like, Like, just to underline the point about God's love, Micah says this. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? 
You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You'll be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. So why will God forgive us? Why will he pardon us? Because that's just like who he is, right? And so Jesus hasn't showed up yet, but even then you can get this glimpse of what does God intend to do about our sins? He intends to deal with them himself, to trample them under his feet, right? So he's underlining this idea about God's love and his grace being a free gift for you. But there's this project thing, this dream that he had for his people. That's the thing he wants us to participate in. What a fitting end, I think, to this first period of prophecy. Um, a few hundred years, they've been saying this, right? God loves you because of who he is. But out of that love, he has this dream for us, this dream that, by the way, just happens to be what we all want for ourselves. Don't we want to be in a community built on love and mercy and human dignity? Like, we all want that. And God says he wants that for you, or Micah says he wants that for you too. So press into that with him. Jump into that dream with him. That's what the prophets have been saying to God's people. Let me end with a few questions and an illustration. Here's my questions. When you look at Micah 6.8, I, I, I think the question that begs for me is just, are you engaged in the project of the kingdom? Like, are you actually engaged in that project? Using Micah's language, what do you do in your life about justice? What do you, or who are you giving mercy to on a regular basis? What do you need to slow down and humbly look at with God. I love the holistic nature of those three things. It leaves no one out. What God's saying to us is, hey, I've showed you this is what matters to me. And so I think what it means for us, if we're God's people, we should have an answer to each of those. There should be something we're pressing into. I know this. This is our heart as a church, right? Like we are pursuing each of those questions in different ways, from the bigger question about justice in the world to the, the internal question about our hearts. Are we walking humbly with God? It's what we're trying to do here. But because we're so committed to this stuff, I do think we need to ask this qualifying question. Uh, this is something that we have to have in the back of our minds for our health. Are you treating the gift like a project and the project like a gift? We can do that sometimes, right? We can flip these two. And what that means is, uh, you know, we, we might be frustrated spiritually because we're treating his love like it's a project, like we have to get up and, and become worthy of his love. And God says, no, you, you're already worthy of it. There's nothing to earn. It's yours. 100% love is yours, God says. But also, uh, like we have to get, uh, make sure we don't err on the other side. If we treat the kingdom like it should be a gift and like we shouldn't have to do anything to experience it or we get resentful and bitter because something's not going quite right and God says, well, listen, I was never going to just do that stuff for you. It's us together working on it. It's God and us. And he says, there was something always that I needed you to do. So when we have spiritual frustration, one of the things we have to ask is, have we somehow inverted these and our expectations are backwards about what should be a free gift and what should be a work that we embrace? It's a question worth meditating on just a little bit. Let me close with a story, with an illustration. 
about this project of the kingdom of God. I know we're sharing a lot of stories right now. We're in the Christmas offering season, um, like Muhammad and entire church. I just, I, I love what they're doing there. Muhammad and entire church, they are a missional partner of ours, but they're also a Christmas offering project. Um, and so uh, outside of the Christmas offering, we have a whole bunch of other missional partners that we support as a church. If you're new to our church, we do kind of two different things. So we wanna get involved in supporting stuff that embodies Micah 6.8. We do project giving like the Christmas offering, but we also just, some of us give regularly to this church and out of that money, we support people like Muhammad and a handful of other folks. Um, this is totally a side note, but. I don't wanna pick a fight with anybody, which is a great way to start anything you're about to say. Um, I, can I just say this? Like one of the sad misses of the American church is we are the most affluent church in the history of the world. Like let that sit in our hearts. We are the most affluent church in the history of the world. And yet studies show most American churches spend uh, over 90% of their donated dollars on themselves in their ministries. Now, I, I'm not negating the importance of the ministries that we do here as a church. We, it, it is important. We invest in that stuff too, and we need to invest in that stuff. And again, I'm not throwing stones. I just want to suggest that perhaps too many of God's dollars have been invested in fancy worship centers and not enough of his dollars have gone to vulnerable people who need justice, mercy, and humility. We're real passionate about that. I'm real passionate. As long as I'm here, this is going to be something that we do. We are trying to do ministry as efficiently as possible so we can leverage as much of the dollars that we all donate to this place for ministries outside that could desperately use the financial support of God's people. Last year, I've mentioned this before, we invested 30% outside, 70% internally. Now you compare us to other churches, and that's pretty good, but we've never been in the comparison to other churches' business. And I'll be honest, it's not good enough for me, 70. I would love it if one day we could reach the point where we're given half of every dollar donated here externally to ministries that could use the support of God's people. But it's going to take some work. So when you give to the Christmas offering, that's one of the ways that we do that. We, we leverage our money externally. But also if you just give regularly, like online or in the giving boxes, um, that's one of the ways that we invest in support these ministries. So I want to talk about one that is not part of the Christmas offering, just a normal missional partner here. Uh, at Pulpit Rock. Let me show you a picture. This lovely couple is Annabelle and Isaac. Um, Annabelle started a ministry in Uganda called the Remnant Generation about seven years ago. And I will, I will say this, I had a chance to go over there earlier this month and meet Annabelle. She might be the most gifted apostolic leader I have ever met. I just was blown away with what she has created. Uh, or what God has created through her. And Isaac is just this incredible man of God. And they, they lead this ministry together. Um, earlier this month, we got to go over there. I, uh, Luke, Vic, and Brian from our Love Your Neighbor team went, and Mark Dunn went with us. Uh, a few months ago, Isaac started a home for boys and girls living on the streets. Uh, and he was sharing with Mark, uh, he said, we don't really have beds for these kids just yet, so pray that God would provide beds. And Mark said, I know a guy, um, you know, that's something we do. Uh, so we took some of our Love Your Neighbor team over there and um, you guys, I wish, I, I mean, we have videos, there's a blog online, you can read about it, but I wish you could have seen 
uh, Luke, Vic, and Brian in action. Just lovingly, graciously teaching these kids. I mean, these guys are such a gift to our church. Uh, teaching these street kids, and then they left and they came back and like, it was like five beds that these guys built while they were gone, and it, it just was amazing to see. Thanks to the generosity of some of you all, we were able to leave a whole bunch of tools and stuff over there so that they can continue doing this and maybe even sell some of the stuff and it could be uh, kind of a sustainable project for them. Um, now, the street kids' home is a new thing. For seven years, uh, they've been doing something else. They've been ministering to girls in really bad situations because of rape, abuse, and incest. Uh, this was a problem before, but with COVID, um, I mean, they, they really shut down their country and it has become an epidemic in Uganda. A lot of these girls uh, become pregnant because of the abuse they suffer and there's so much stigma attached to that. Uh, they frequently are rejected by their family, by their school, even by their church. Um, and so Annabelle, a few years ago, said, I'll, I'll do what I can, and started this amazing ministry to help these girls and babies all over Uganda. And so they have a couple of homes for these girls, and they have this home for these street kids. And, but, you know, the, the kids who are living in the home, that's one sort of help, but they are just intervening with medical care, uh, with uh, job training, with the gospel, just for hundreds of girls across the country. It really is an astounding thing. So while we were there, um, Mark and I got the privilege of sitting with 20 young women who stayed in one of these homes, just sitting in their living room, talking to them. And I say young women, I mean like 14, 15, 16 year olds, all with newborns or expecting like very imminently. Um, so we're sitting there in this home, these precious girls, and like I just was kind of having a moment, my heart was just full of grief, these girls who have experienced uh, so much pain from men who should have cared for them. And it was just a moment of grief for what we men can do with our unredeemed sexuality. Um, and I just was heartbroken. And Annabelle says, hey, Pastor Jonathan, would you share something with these girls? Um, I think it's a gift when God reminds you how inadequate you are for his work, right? And that's what I felt in that moment, because what do you say? Well, what do you say? I'm like, Annabelle, you would probably be a better person to share, but she asked me, um, so I started, I'm thinking, this idea pops in my head, I'm like, probably not that one. <laughs> that was all I had, so I shared it. Um, what I shared with them, all I could think of is what the angel said to the unwed teenage mother who carried the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, in her womb. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary? Uh, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. As I shared that, and I explained what, kind of what it meant, and I tried to pray a prayer of blessing over them, and I'm thinking, I bet, I bet they don't feel highly favored. I bet they don't feel like God has really been with them. Um, and so I'm praying just, God, would you, would you reveal to them how you favor them? Our God, I think, has a soft spot in his heart for teenage mothers. Um, you know, so I'm like, God, would you reveal that you favor them? Um, would you be with them in the same way that you were with Mary? And I open my eyes, um, and you see this room full of, of women um, and their babies, and I look over at Annabelle and uh, her team of Ugandan social workers. Um, and these women, gosh, strong, bold women who are working 
seven days a week, 24 hours a day to take care of these girls that no one wanted and their babies. Um, at the same time, they're fighting for justice. They have a lot of favor with government officials and so they're pushing for reform in all the areas that they need reform. And I, I looked at them and I realized this truth. God had already favored these girls and was with these girls. Because when God's people show up to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with him, that is his presence on earth. And what I saw in these social workers was not a group of people who would shake their fist at God and say, how could you have let this happen? Why don't you fix this country? What I saw in this group of social workers is a group that showed up with a different posture with God. They showed up to say, we are here to help you with this project for these girls. And it was astounding, it was stunning, it was beautiful. While we were there, got to hear from this one young lady, Zahara. Zahara was doing really good in school, like third in her class type thing in school when she was assaulted and became pregnant. Um, kicked out of her home, living on the streets. One of the people from Remnant Generation found her, um, brought her into the home. Now she lives in this home with her beautiful daughter. Um, she's sharing her story. And, you, you know, I, we, we tell these stories to you guys, um, and, and I know each of you have probably seen a lot of these stories in your life, and you can confirm this. The reality of our world is there are way too many Zaharas in our world, right? Vulnerable people. And there is, well, there are way too few Annabelles in our world. We have a deficit of Annabelles, right? There, there's an abundance of people who are vulnerable. There's people vulnerable here in our community. Around the world, there's a type of vulnerability that most of us could not conceive of. And there are way too few Annabelles in our world. And I think, you know, we could look at that and we could cry out to our God and say, God, how could you let that happen to these precious people? I read Micah though, and I'm pretty sure God might ask us the same question. I think God is saying, listen, I've always had this dream for my people. It's a very simple dream that they would just elevate, that they would lift the world around them. Let's go. Let's get on it. Let's participate in this project. There's a couple things I think we need to note about the project. One, I would just say to this group or to this country, um, I know nobody likes it when you go to church, they talk about money, um, so I apologize, but giving is a part of it right? Giving is a part of it. And I don't say that to guilt you into giving to our church. Um, listen, I will say this with total integrity. I don't care if you give here. Um, will you just promise me that you will not try to follow Jesus in the most affluent country in the history of the world and spend all of your dollars on yourself and your family? Just promise me you won't do that. And if you do give here like I give here, I will promise you this, that every year we are working hard to leverage what we do here as efficiently as possible so that we can invest as much as we can to keep people like Annabelle and Isaac and Muhammad and all of you in the fight for the kingdom of God, right? That's, that is what we wanna do. 
as a church is to invest our dollars outward. Um, and I know so many of you sacrificially give here. I will say this, like uh, there, there are moments where I get to see this stuff. I try to relay it to you. Your sacrifices are paying off in like saving lives in some cases, paying off. So thank you for doing that. If you don't want to give here, I'm totally okay with that. Would you just, however you do it, just do it. Giving to good stuff is a part of being an American Christian. Here's another thing I want you to hear. As amazing as Annabelle is, Micah 6.8 isn't telling you to be an Annabelle, right? Micah 6.8 doesn't actually tell us what we need to do. It certainly doesn't tell us we need to start a nonprofit to rescue kids nobody wants. Um, the prophets don't really tell us exactly what we should do. The prophets just tell us we must do something, right? They don't tell all of God's people, do this and this and this. It's not real specific. It's just general. It says, if you're one of God's people, you must do something. You must do something with your life beyond getting to the grave, right? Do some justice, give some mercy, do some humility work. And I'm not saying we need to do that stuff so that God would like us. God is crazy about you, just crazy about you. He loves you so deeply and desperately and that will never change no matter what happens over the course of your life. But because he loves you, he has something for you. Not so you could earn his favor, but so that your life could make sense, so that you don't just drift in life from one purposeless activity to another purposeless activity and then blame God for the restlessness in your soul. He has something for you. That's the heart of this church. That's what we are about here, to be in the game, so to speak, to sharpen our answers to these questions. How do we act justly? How do we love mercy? How do we walk humbly? He's given us the gift of this grace, this love. And so now for the remaining days we have on this earth, let's get after this project. Jesus, we come to you thankful for your love, thankful that there's nothing we can do to change it. There's no failure that we could make that puts us outside of your love. And we're so thankful for the security that we have in you but we're also thankful that you don't just leave us alone, that you have something for us, that you dream, a, dream for our lives bigger than even what we might dream. And so God, I just pray for each one of us that you would sharpen our answers to those questions, that you would make us about your justice, your mercy, that you would make us humble in the way that we walk with you, and that we would be participants in your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.